Listeners to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by our friends over at Celsius. I am John Ledyard of PewterReport.com, and this is an NFC Championship game preview edition of the Bucks versus the Packers. And what's going to be an epic showdown. And Ted Wynn of the Athletic is going to be joining me here in a little bit about 745. Um, I know I see the, the comments are already uh, coming in that people are angry at me for picking the Packers to win this game. I understand it's what I think is going to happen. I promise I'd always keep it 100 with y'all and not just tell you what you want to hear. That way you know I'm keeping it first class and authentic at all times. And so I got it. I got to go with my, 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 my eyes tell me and my heart tells me. But, man, you know I want to be wrong on this one. I would love to be 17-2 and two on this one and see the Bucks come up with a victory. We have tons of to talk about with Ted today uh, when he joins us. If you don't know Ted Wynn, follow him on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. He does some of the best work out there. He's extremely knowledgeable and he's a great guy. I'll plug him again later for y'all. So you can, if you, if you missed it, you can try and catch him and, and, and make sure that you can be asking him questions and you'll get to ask him questions on this show as well. He is going to be joining us in about 13 minutes, uh, we're going to break down a lot of in-depth stuff. This is not stuff you are going to hear on any other show that you would that you would watch a Bucks packers preview or anything like that. Um, this, you're not going to be able to hear – like you're just not. You're not going to hear this kind of stuff on those other shows. We've got a, like, kind of a an itinerary of stuff that we want to go through, and it's stuff that uh, they're not talking about on the major network. So if you're like, oh, it's just another preview, it's not going to be – it's going to be even better. Uh, than the previews that you're used to. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're taking your questions. And as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, big fight coming up. And you can see Dustin enjoys his Celsius, as does your boy, drinking the strawberry dragon fruit today. If you don't know, Celsius act powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. What's great about Celsius? I wish I had all podcasts. I'll give it to you real quick, the bullet points. Celsius, especially this heat edition that's running right now, um, is there's no sugar in it. Um, so you're not getting fueled by the sugar. You're getting fueled that energy that you're getting fueled by when you have a Celsius. You're not going to have that crash that you get with other energy drinks after. So it's awesome. They also taste amazing. There's tons of different flavors. Um, so I can't tell you how much they energize you for your workouts and they give you a kind of everything that you need to be able to maximize those opportunities in those parts of your day. And if you're feeling that lull in the afternoon, man, they just help you get over that. They, they really do. And there's not that crash afterward, like I said. So I'm telling you, Celsius, you can check them out if you want to buy them. There's convenience stores all around you. You probably have them if you're in the Florida area. But you can go to Celsius.com, use their store locator, put your zip in real quick and check and see uh, where you can find those Celsius stores near you. Um, 
or you could just order them on Amazon. I'll order the variety pack uh, and you'll get a ton of different flavors. Scott just did that for his daughter. He just sent it to her out in Kansas State and she got this variety pack with, and she's already loving them and she's asking about other flavors. And uh, so, yeah, it's fun stuff. Celsius, especially the heat. Uh, strawberry dragon fruit right here. You've heard me talk about blueberry pomegranate. It's all deadly. So make sure you all check that out. Uh, there's uh, It's good stuff for sure. All right, let's get to some of the questions that we have going here and then we will get to the injury report and then Ted should be with us here. If you're just joining Ted Wynn, jumping in here in about 10 minutes, helping us preview the show. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. We're going to talk X's and O's, a lot of logistics of this matchup. And we'll talk about whether the importance of the, of the score of the last matchup or how things went in the last matchup should matter at all uh, in this game. Um, let's see. We got, oh, here it is. Our Jordan Chavez. I saw this question earlier. John, do you think if Vea plays, that allows Bulls to get more creative with exotic fronts? Um, I don't know about that. That's a good question. I don't think it's going to, I don't think he's going to be, he's going to be held back or strained from being creative regardless. Um, I think he's, I think he really wants Vita Vea because Vita Vea is in terms of running stunts and games. I mean, there probably isn't a better guy to run them with in the NFL because you talk about power and the ability to push the pocket. And then if you're catching a tackle unsuspecting on his ear hole, you're knocking him back. You're opening up a pretty good gap for that end to twist through. And so, yeah, I think that he allows them to do some creative and fun things. I don't know that they won't do those things without him, but I think they're more effective with him. So maybe he calls them a little more because of that. Um, that could be a byproduct of it. It's good that I picked – uh, the Packers means Bucks will win. I hope that you're right, Brian Shaw, because I have to be due for a loss at some point. It's a law of averages, right? Like there's no way I can't continue to be right at this rate. 17 to one on the season, by the way, if you haven't listened, uh, picking Bucks games this season. So it's, uh, it's gotta, it's gotta end at some point. Will AB play on Sunday game time decision. Bruce Arian said today. So he went from day to day to game time decision. So they already know it's not going to happen until Sunday, but we'll see if he practices, um, I think he'll play Sunday. That's my guess. Will it be the same Antonio Brown? That I don't know. I think he plays though. It's that kind of a game. Um, there was no serious injury. My guess is it's a discomfort thing. Uh, AB for all his faults has always been pretty tough, dude. Um, he didn't miss many games in Pittsburgh, hardly any. So I think he'll play. I think he'll push through it. I don't know if he'll be as effective as normal though. That would be uh, the question. And the other thing is he won't have practiced with the team throughout the week probably. And chemistry with Antonio Brown this season has been a little bit of a fluid thing for he and Tom Brady. So Shay uh, White Tony wants to know, John, is Devontae Adams a Hall of Fame wide receiver if he retired today? No, I don't think so. <laughs> he's awesome, though. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to retire today. How old is he? I don't – I'd have to look at his numbers to be sure, but it doesn't feel like he's played that long to me, long enough to be in that case. I mean, wh where is he all time? Those things matter. It doesn't matter how talented you are for Hall of Fame. You know, that – you have to do it for a long period of time, collect awards. You know, that's the kind of stuff that matters for Hall of Fame. You know, I'm on tape. Is Devontae Adams elite? Like, is he on a Hall of Fame level talent? Oh, yeah, for sure. But you have to do it. You have to actually produce at that rate for a long time to be in the Hall of Fame. I just don't think he's done it long enough yet, unless I'm missing something. Um, can't believe I said the Packers are the better team. Just how everyone said Bucks lost all the good teams they played. Packers only played two good teams all year, Bucks and Saints. They also played the Titans. I think the Titans were probably pretty good. Um, beat them. Um, they played the Rams, beat them. I know the Rams were a little banged up, but uh, I think they played more than two good teams, just like I think the Bucks have. I also don't know how much it matters, you know, what the Packers have done over the sample size that we've seen this season. I mean, they've scored 30 points or more 
in 13 of 17 games that they've played this season when you count the playoff game. That is pretty unbelievable. And so they are producing points at a really high rate. In fact, the only game I think that they didn't reach 20 in was the Bucks game. So we'll see if that process repeats itself. Man, that would be amazing. But I don't think you're going to get a 38 to 10 score. Um, but we'll see. You know, maybe it does. Uh, good question. We're, I know we're going to get this one a lot as the offseason approaches. And again, if you're just joining us, Ted Wynn is joining in about five minutes. Ted Wynn of The Athletic joining in about five minutes. He is uh, going to help break down Bucks Packers. Got a ton of questions queued up for him. If you've got questions, go ahead and throw them out there. We're going to try and get through a lot of that and might come back to some of your questions at the end if we have some time. Uh, but Hezo813 wants to know if I see Jason Light letting Chris Godwin walk in the offseason since Tyler Johnson offseason since Tyler Johnson is an emerging talent. BA had high praise for him today. I do not think that is going to happen. I frankly do not think there's any way Chris Godwin is not on this team in 2021. I would be floored if that happens. Um, Tyler Johnson is good. He's also caught like 12 balls this season or something like that. So, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I was a big fan of Tyler Johnson coming out. I think he's going to be a good player. Is it possible after 2021 they say, you know what, Tyler Johnson's so good that after we franchise tag Godwin, now we're going to let Tyler Johnson take over and we're going to let Chris Godwin walk. That's a possibility maybe. But for this upcoming year with the window being what it is and it could be Brady's last season for 2021 – I would be floored. He is the guy. I mean, he's going to catch 115 balls with Tom Brady, quarterback, if he's healthy for every game. I mean, he he loves him, uh, and he's the kind of player for this offense. Bruce Arians needs him. That position is vital. That's the volume player in the offense. Mike Evans, splash player in the offense, and, and Scotty and other guys too, the, even the tight ends. Gronkowski's been a splash play guy in this offense. Chris Godwin's the chain mover, and he can make the splash plays too. That's what makes him special, and Arians has said that before. But he can do everything. And so guy like that, yeah, you don't let him get away. The fact that he can block the way they use him, he's very, very, very valuable uh, to what um, to what Bruce Aarons likes to do. Koge, uh, super chat. Charles Crane, I think the Packers will use the Rams game plan with short passes. I can see them using the pass to set up the pass. Charles, greatly appreciate this $20 super chat, my man. And if you guys aren't aware, you, there's a little dollar sign, I think, on the on the screen. You can offer super chats, drop them in, and donate. All the money that you'd send to the, to the Pewter Report podcast goes back into the podcast and into the website to produce better content. So cameras are one of the things that's high up on the agenda. Um, it's all helping battle the COVID era that everybody's had to go through as businesses um, and how that stretches you. And so all of that, those contributions – especially right now. Oh man, I can't tell you. Scott and I were just talking about the other day. They are really, really clutch for us. So we really, really appreciate y'all um, and allowing us to keep this coverage going at the rate that we are and in the quality that we are. So an uh, answer to Charles' question or actually his, his thought process here. No, he thinks the Rams will use or the Packers will use the Rams game plan with short passes. I can see them using the pass to set up the pass. Yeah, I don't even know if Matt LaFleur looks at it as if pass to set up the run or run to set up the pass. I think he's just playing with the way they want to play. I mean, the Packers do so many different things. And I said this yesterday on the show too. Um, Scott and I previewed this game, and you can go back and listen to that too. But I said, man, there's just so much that the Packers do well. It's hard to even know like where to draw the line in some ways. Like, what do you take away first? I just think you have to do Rogers. We do it with Rogers because he's the most talented guy. They'll throw the ball every down if that's the look you're giving them. If they feel like that's the success that they have, they'll run the ball every down. You know that that's just how it is with Green Bay, and so they're not really predictable in that way, in my opinion. The Ra reason they use the short passes against the Rams is because the Rams are like the best team in the NFL and one of the best teams in recent memory at taking away big plays down the field. 
So they just picked him apart underneath. If you remember, the Bucs did the same thing in the early in the game against the Rams. When they were executing, they were picking the Rams apart underneath. They fell in love with the deep ball and threw a bunch of interceptions and nobody was open and safeties were capping every single route. And that was kind of, they, they went back to trying to hit uh, every, get all the points in one play. And that strategy dooms you when you're up against defenses that are set up the way that, that the Rams are set up. Um, so the Packers did a good job of that. Bucks are going to give them a lot more single high looks, my guess would be. And so because of that, I think that you could see a lot more deep passing in this game by both teams, I think, which hopefully will be good because last week there was a there was a shortage of splash plays by just about every offense across the board um, in terms of the passing game. Russ wants to know, do I think Scotty will start over Tyler Johnson? I loved what I've seen from him, and I'd like to see him out there more if AB is out for Sunday. Um, you know, Just to run down the injury report real quick, and then I'll get to, to answering this question. Uh, from today's injury report, again, I think Antonio Brown and Vita Vea are probably the only players in question. Vea is not on the injury report yet because he hasn't joined the active roster, but Antonio Brown didn't participate. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Ronald Jones – all limited participants for the second straight day. Jeremiah Ledbetter, full participant, so he looked like we might get the fifth defensive back, tackle back uh, with a cat from a calf injury. Ali Marpet, uh, the pec injury, uh, was a full participant uh, today as well as yesterday. And Sean Murphy Bunting was limited uh, each of the last two days. Now, JPP did not practice again. Uh, that's neither practice this week. Is he gone? Jordan Whitehead, limited. And Antoine Winfield was added to the injury report with an ankle injury, but he was a full participant in practice. For the Packers, Packers, Chris Barnes, who's a pretty good linebacker for them, limited participant. Mason Crosby, a shoulder injury, their kicker, uh, is a limited participant as well. A.J. Dillon, uh, running back. Uh, Kingsley Kiki, one of their rotational defensive tackles. Alan Lazard, one of their starting wideouts. All those guys were limited participants. Mercedes Lewis, the blocking veteran tight end, did not participate after being a limited participant on Wednesday, so he's kind of maybe trending in the wrong direction. Um, Will Redmond, uh, the nickel corner, also went from full to limited um, this uh, today. Zadarius Smith was limited. Uh, EQ St. Brown, the wide receiver, was limited. Ricky Wagner, their tackle, was limited. And Jamal Williams, the running back, was limited. So they have a lot of key contributors that are limited too. So do the so do the box. I think it's more precautionary stuff. I would imagine you'll see just about everybody I read play um, in this upcoming game. Um, and our answer to the question about Scotty Miller, I think it's going to be both of them. It's been both of them in the wide receiver four role. Uh, they haven't really just given that to Scotty. Tyler Johnson is way more versatile. Um, so it really depends on what the how the Packers are playing, how they want to attack them. Um, Scotty Miller is the kind of the outside receiver guy. They don't really play him as much in the slot. If they need a slot, they're going to play Tyler Johnson more. Um, so it depends on what they're doing. If they're running a lot of screens and things like that, Tyler Johnson is going to be the guy to play. If they get down in the red zone or they're running the football more, I think you'll see Tyler Johnson play more snaps. Scotty could play more or an equal amount of pass plays. Let's put it that way. Haas Juke. Again, Ted Wynn joining us from The Athletic very shortly here. Haas Juke wants to know, is there a way to take advantage of Rodgers' propensity to not throw in rhythm? Not on time to the first and second read. Been less of an issue this year, but it still happens. Yeah, it was great when he was doing that. <laughs> But he's not doing that anymore as much. You know, he is he has been uh, extremely on point and getting the ball out on time. And uh, it's been a big reason why their offense has been as successful as it's been this season and been uh, such a fun offense. So it's harder. It's a lot harder to disrupt him. But to join us and tell us how to disrupt Aaron Rodgers, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Ted, can you hear me okay? 
Maybe we don't have him yet. Yeah, Ted, I just you, caught the Amanda myth. Of, yeah. <laughs> uh, can you hear you me? Got me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Okay, I just caught the man legend part. So, but that's good enough for me. I, I just know I got a good intro. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I've been telling the people that you were about to arrive here on the show and tell us kind of about this game. I mean, there is so much to, to talk about. But first, I want to make sure everybody's aware of Ted and his work and his analysis. He does some unbelievable work. In fact, I'm going to see if this works. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, you are going to definitely want to read. I'm dropping it in the chat, the link uh, to this article uh, that Ted and Shell uh, wrote uh, this week about this matchup between the Packers and the Bucks. And it was so intricate, Ted, because you guys went in such great detail about this game. And every, all the Bucks fans that, that listen to this podcast or watch this podcast know I'm always about those details, right? Like the raw stats, yeah, okay, whatever. But you know, tell me these details that you guys have in, the, in this piece. And some of it was really really interesting and I, I want to ask you about a bunch of it today but one of the things I really wanted to ask you about before we even get to this game specifically is you've watched the Bucks this season you know there was kind of this rocky road like right like they start the year and oh, man in bunches they look great and then at other times they look totally lost and that kind of culminates in the week nine game against the Saints and then they lose a couple games and they're kind of close to the Rams and the Chiefs but they don't really look it just the effort just looks really disjointed. Then they go into the bye and they come out of the bye and they're killing everybody. And they get in the playoffs and they win two games. Not all been beautiful, but they win two games. What's been your assessment of this Brady Arians marriage and the offense and just the direction you've seen it head in throughout this season? Yeah, I think it's probably been discussed a million times before, but you know, even before the season started, I, I thought there'd be some growing pains between. Uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. I mean, Brady's been running the same system for his entire career. And then he has to go to a new system, which is very vastly different, you know, than what he's ran in New England. And he doesn't have an offseason to uh, prepare for it. So, you know, obviously he's going to study the, the playbook uh, intently. and He knows all the plays, but it's another thing mm -hmm. to execute, you know, when the bullets are live bullets are flying and he has to make audibles. And there's these, these little, you know, differences that he didn't have to think about before it just became automatic to him because he knew the offense so well he knew the language so well now it just takes maybe an extra half a second to register or maybe there is some a little bit of confusion and i think it took some time to uh kind of get used to the new offense and to uh kind of get used to throwing the ball deeper than he used to not having the luxury of a uh just those underneath running back option routes that he did so much in New England because the Bucks just had so much trouble uh, yeah. catching the ball from the running back position <laughs> this season. Uh, such an adventure Tell every time it goes to the running back. Um, and it seems like every time the backs do catch the ball, they, they seem to have a good offensive performance too. So, uh, you know, it, it, there was just some growing pains. I think they started hitting their stride towards the end of the season. Um, and, you know, you could say they had some offensive struggles in the last few weeks, but they also played a few pretty good defenses in the last mm -hmm. few weeks too. You know, they right. play the Falcons in week 17. And I think the Falcons made some legit defensive improvements right. uh, after Dan Quinn was fired. And then um, obviously the Washington Redskins have I – mean, Washington football team mm -hmm. uh, have one of the best defenses in the NFL and, and the Saints have right. one of the best defenses in the NFL. Right. Yeah, it is interesting because you're right. Like it was – they were, you know, killing Detroit and Minnesota and, and you know, even the Atlanta people didn't really – like you and I knew like the defense had made adjustments, but people like, oh, they're four and – 12 or whatever they are. And, you know, and so it's like, oh, who, 
can they actually beat somebody good? And then they, sure enough, they get a playoff game against the team with a losing record. So it's like, oh man, that doesn't prove anything. You know, to some people that wouldn't prove anything. But you're right, Washington's defense was outstanding all season. And the Bucs really, you know, did whatever they wanted offensively until they got in the red zone, one for five in the red zone in that game, uh, which was a little bit troubling. Or I think it was one, yeah, one for five in that game. And so, uh, you know, there I wrote an article actually this week about some of the red zone woes that the Bucs have had recently and how they're almost all just execution errors right now and not not a lot of like uh, coaching problems or like route combination problems in my opinion. Just players got to catch the ball and, you know, they're just off on a few plays and somebody fell down on a route and things like that. But you're right, like overall the cohesiveness has started to show itself more often. But I, I want to talk about this red zone thing too because if there's a game, Ted, where it really matters, it's this one against Green Bay. I mean, the Bucs are six for 16 in the red zone, and there's some there's some wiggle room with that. Look, there was a kneel down against Atlanta that for some reason in 2021, we can't take that out of stats. I don't know why, but there's a kneel down that counts against them, and there's some you know disclaimers with that. But again, they, but they haven't executed in the red zone like we were used to seeing throughout the season when the Bucs were up over 70% which we thought was good, but the backers, the Packers were like up over 80% Ted, in the red zone in the regular season. I mean, it is a special thing to be that high. I mean, I think it's the highest in recorded history based on most of the research that I was looking at and doing. I don't know if somebody has some stats somewhere that I don't know about. What has made it so tough to stop the Packers in the red zone where they score a touchdown almost every time they're down there? Well, it's a few things. I think LaFleur is excellent at play design and designing and scheming guys open and just creative ways to use motion and create deception in, in the red zone. And two, you know, uh, Devontae Adams is just, he's one of the best against press coverage. Oh, he, I think he is the best receiver yeah. against press coverage. So anytime, you know, when you're in a red zone, you're going to see a lot of press coverage and him and Aaron Rodgers have such a, a strong connection right now. If he's one-on-one in a red zone, it's almost a guarantee the ball's going to him, and there's a high percentage he's going to catch it on mm. a, you know, either a fade route, a quick out, a, a slant. Uh, you just can't cover him one-on-one, and it's hard to right. double him because, on the other hand, the Green Bay Packers are really good at running the ball too. Aaron Jones is you know, maybe pound-for-pound pound one of the strongest runners um, in, the, in the NFL, and he's just really hard to stop in a red zone. Mm-hmm. And they're so good at play action too that, you know, all in the red zone, if you can create a little bit of deception, just a little bit of separation right. that, that works, you know, to your favor a ton. And I, I think, you know, just being so good at play action is one of the reasons they're so good in the red zone as well. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point, man. I mean, when the Bucs have been at their best in the red zone, they've used play action. When they've stalled out, it's been usually because they don't, and they're just running four or five-man route combinations just from the gun or whatever. And sometimes it gets a little static, and it's hard to get open. And that they remember, that space is condensed. So a lot of what the Bucs mm-hmm. do, you know, being a vertical team, it is tricky to sometimes make that happen in the red zone. They're, the Packers' motion at the snap is something I'm very jealous of, You know that I wish the Bucs had – uh, kind of in their offense. And you obviously, if people watch the game, they saw Devontae Adams score first touchdown of the game on a motion at the snap. Uh, and it just confuses teams. Like you said, that that pass in the open field might be a four-yard pass and we just forget about it, you know, but in the red mm-hmm. zone, that's all you need. And so how do you create four yards instead of just like drawing up a good play? And so it's a different way of thinking about things that I think LaFleur is really good at, like you said. Now, okay, you brought up Devontae Adams. So I, we got to talk, Ted. Here's the deal. The Packers and Devontae Adams have obviously been unstoppable all year, except when they played the Bucs in week six, which we will kind of get to a little bit in, in, in a general sense, like that game. 
But also, Devontae Adams kind of got slowed down by Carlton Davis in week six. I mean, Carlton Davis, when he was matched up against him in press, did pretty well. Carlton Davis has done pretty well on everybody that he's pressed except for Tyreek Hill this season. I mean, he was in position a lot of the time. It just didn't matter. But so my question to you is, how do you defend Devontae Adams? Do you just double him off the st- off the start of the game? Do you, do you press him and have a safety play over the top? Do you need that? He's not truly a speedster. I mean, he went down the field, but he's not really a speedster like Tyreek Hill. They had to double Tyreek Hill. None of the Bucs corners can run like that, dude. I don't think anybody can. So they had to double in the second half of that game. But how do you defend Devontae Adams, I guess? I mean, what would you be your game? If you look at the Bucs personnel and the way that the Packers operate as an offense, what do you come in with as your game plan if you're the Bucs? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to double him. Um, Carlton Davis I, I had a probably the best game that I've seen a cornerback play against Devontae Adams when he, you know, when he's really started getting going in his career and started uh, – kind of cementing himself in that top tier of wide receivers. Uh, but he was really physical against him. He, he was sticking coverage. He looked like he knew what r- routes were coming. Uh, but I don't think you can, you know, count on that happening again because it, it happens to Adam so rarely. Uh, right. I do think that you you do, you know, test him. You you want to see, all right, can Davis handle uh, Devontae Adams again one-on-one and see Right. Um, see what happens, and if you know, but you you come into the game plan with a plan B too. If Davis not handling, what what are we going to do? Are we going to put a safety over the top of him? You know, uh, we, yeah. we have to have other items on a menu in case Ad, uh, Davis can't do it again. So I would definitely test out Davis one on one, see if you can do it early in the game, but then yeah. kind of switch things up, especially if you see signs that um, maybe he can't shut him down for a, a second game in a row because it's so tough. Right. Yeah, you, you you nailed it. I'm glad you saw the same thing I saw because the first game I was like, man, I think Devontae Adams. I mean, I have I think he's the best wide receiver in the league this year. But Carlton did a good job on him. And here's the thing that drives us crazy, Ted. Carlton Davis hasn't been allowed to play press most of the season. They play him yep. off almost all the time, and it's it's crazy because Michael Thomas, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams. So there are other guys too, but like all these guys, he lined up with impressed man, and it was almost impossible to get open on him. Mean, he hasn't. Tyree kills the only guy that actually like got separation on him and press man that's just because Tyree Kill is just so freaking fast you know even mm-hmm. in some of those plays he was in good position but he's not been a lot so you saw you know again the Bucks go back press coverage and he matches up with Michael Thomas and holds him throughout the game zero cats and Michael Thomas isn't himself this year obviously I know Bucks fans want to play down his injury and, and act like he's faking but he hasn't been himself clearly but I mean that was week one same thing like he was shutting down Michael Thomas week one so I say all that to say like man there's this elite corner against in press coverage this season. It's a smaller sample size than it should be, in my opinion. But everything we've seen him in press coverage looks great. And then you have, like you said, Devonte, who's amazing at press, who's get, at getting off press. But in some ways, you know, he's the key to the Packers' offense. Not that they don't have other guys that can play or anything like that, but isn't he, in a lot of ways, the key to the Packers' offense? And if if that's the case, then. Would your game plan against Green Bay be built upon A, stopping the pass first, and B, stopping Devontae Adams, and then kind of seeing what else happens, what they go to, and then reacting to that? Yeah, it's tough because Adams is definitely a major component in the in the Packers offense, but right. you know, they, they've adopted that Shanahan um, type of philosophy where they're built yeah. on the outside zone, they're built on bootlegs and play action, uh, but then they have Adams who – um, they can, you know, whenever they see a one-on-one, they're going to go, they're going to go to him. And Rogers is so good at recognizing when he has one-on-one opportunity, 
and he has ways of uh, attacking those one-on-one opportunities whenever they they come up. Um, yeah. Also, they they have a lot of ways to free him up too. Like they they put him in a slot, they they motion him on a weak side, run him little options, option routes too. Uh, so it, it's harder to double Adams. It, you know, it's one thing to say let's double Adams as much as we can, but it's another right. thing where you know Lafleur is just so good at creating those one-on-one matchups through. Uh, play design, you, 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 it's hard to double them every time, and you have to worry about the, the Packers' run game, too. Right. <laughs> there is, there. I was telling the fans this yesterday, Ted, and you know this full well from watching them. You know, some teams do like one thing that's really good. You know, they do a lot of this play action and it's and it's effective and it's hard to stop. And or they have this diverse run scheme, you know, and 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 you know, Kyle Shanahan's a perfect example when it's just like the, the efficiency of the run scheme is better than any other team in the league. Like, it's just like, it, you can't even compare the run schemes basically. And then you have teams with motion at the snap and they're great at motion. They do a ton of it. And, you know, they're creative with their player personnel usage. And, and then it feels like the Packers just do all of it. And they have, by the way, the MVP at quarterback. And it almost feels like, I don't know, like creating a one game plan to stop the Packers is almost kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, you have to go in with some sort of a plan and as we saw in uh, week six against Green Bay, the most successful plan against the Packers all season long. And again, we, you and I know very well that uh, a 38 to 10 result is not happening on Sunday and that that game, at least by final score, was an anomaly. But it doesn't mean parts of that game can't be taken and put to use again to achieve a good result. Parts of that process were good for the Bucs, and one of those parts was pressure, right? I mean, you said in your article, which, again, I linked in there if some people want to scroll up and find it for The Athletic, but you pointed out how Rodgers has just been good, period. It doesn't really matter what you try to do to him, but he's been worse. <laughs> he's been worse when he's under pressure, and so is, you know, we talk about defending Adams, obviously, but in terms of stopping Aaron Rodgers, Hey, Ted, is there a way, is it possible to stop the 2021 version of Aaron Rodgers? And B, is pressure the only answer or is there another way? Yeah, I, I think you, what happened in the Bucks game was they got a lot of pressures or they, they were able to blitz without showing yeah. any blitz early in the snap count. So I think part of the reason Rodgers was talking about after the, the game was they were really lackadaisical coming in and out the huddle. So they got they got under center pretty late in the in the snap count, and they couldn't use the hard count. They couldn't really adjust their protections too much, um, and the Bucks just kind of sat back and they didn't start mugging their linebackers, and it was it was hard to see their blitzes coming. Uh, so I, I think you do have to blitz him, but you have to be selective when you blitz him, and you have to do a really good job at disguising because you know he by now he's probably studied every Buck snap. Uh, throughout the season, so he, he has all these tells. Right. So a, a key is, you know, you have to be able to draw up different pressures, and you have to disguise and and, and send them. And you know, I think that you can't take advantage of David uh, Bakhtiari's injury and sending some pressures to the left tackle mm-hmm. and see if he could uh, mentally process some of those uh, those pressures coming at him. Uh, but again, you have to be extremely deceptive and, and pick your spots. Yeah, it's it's funny you because you look at the Packers' offensive line and you're like, oh, Billy Turner, Ricky Wagner, Lucas Patrick. Like, I know Elton Jenkins is going to be a star. He's already on his way. Maybe he's already there. But like, these aren't household names. Like, this isn't like. I mean, the Saints got Tron Armstead, and Ryan Ramchick, and you know, and Eric McCoy. They got all these first, second rounders, Caesar Ruiz, and, and Andres Pete just got paid. And and now you look at the Packers and you're like, wait, how is this group? I mean, obviously, when Bakhtiari was there, we get that one. But Bakhtiari also heard in the first time these two teams played during the game. And, 
uh, the Bucks took advantage of, of Ricky Wagner coming in and, and, and really um, ran some games to that side of the field, some blitzes that side of the field or that side of the line that confused him and stuff. So, how, how I mean, the scheme is part of it, right? Like the, the, the Packers scheme, you mentioned the boots and the play action, that really helps this offensive line, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, with if you're running a bootleg, you know, you're booting away from the defensive line, and the only way to really get pressure is you send a, an edge blitz from your nickel or something. You hope you hope you call that right at the right time, right where he he's blitzing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, play action uh, can be tough on defensive linemen because you know they see that run action, they're not going to rush up field. They're going to kind of pause for a second before getting up field, and you know that's one right. of the benefits of uh, of using a lot of play action. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so it is, uh, it, it creates in my mind, the controversy Ted of like, do you, because getting pressure on Aaron Rodgers is so important. And if you, if you, if play action takes advantage of you every single time, like if you're not being able to tee off, if you're not able to win one-on-ones and if the Bucks don't win one-on-ones early, you know, they're, they don't have a lot of great pass rushers. I mean, you know, Shaq Barrett has been okay this season. Jason Beer Paul. Okay. This season, the inside guys without Bay, you know, Bay plays obviously that could change because he's a dominant player, but um, they haven't really had a lot of those guys. So getting pressure with four, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, you mentioned blitzing, and I think some of the blitz schemes are diverse, but it, you know, and that's good. But play action, like you mentioned, can can negate some of that. Do you take the strategy at some point in the game where you're going to tee off, even if you see a play fake, you're trying to get to the quarterback while his back's turned, and that's kind of your strategy defensively. I remember seeing teams do this when the Rams were, and I know we don't have enough data to say there's a point at which play action no longer is effective. Like, so as far as we've seen from most of the data I read, play action is just effective, period. But I wonder, I remember when the Rams would just run it all the time. And then I think it was a game against the Chiefs, maybe. I don't even, maybe it wasn't the Chiefs. I can't remember. But there was a game where teams were just teeing off on golf. Like, he literally would turn around and they would just like hit him. And the play fakes just didn't, you know, and it wasn't a game like that was out of hand score wise. So they, you know, they could have run on them, you know, or they could have run past their gaps or assignments and they just teed off. I mean, I guess this is a weird question, but at some point, does that like does it get to that point where like defensive lines and blitz packages have to consider just doing that and hoping that they guess right? Yeah, I think you're thinking about that three game stretch in 2018 when they played play the Lions, Eagles, and Bears, where um, Bear, I think the, it was the, the Bears. Yeah, where they're just really struggling, and uh, part part of it was they were just the defensive line were they were just penetrating without really worrying about gap responsibilities. And right. um, they were just, you know, get trying to, if they stopped the run, they were stopping the run on their way to the uh, the quarterback. But one of the yeah. the way, one of the reasons they could do that was they, they put a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage. So they had multiple players on a line of scrimmage to handle all those gaps and then have, you know, an extra guy outside in case there was a bootleg. Mm-hmm. But you, it's hard to do that against Aaron Rodgers because, you know, he's not Jared Goff. Uh, you have you have to respect them. You got to put point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to respect them. You have to play uh, too high. You have to have um, an overhang defender outside. It's hard to just to keep uh, six guys in a line of scrimmage and repeatedly bring the bring those guys against um, Aaron Rodgers because he's just you know the Shanahan McVay system has done a really good job of masking the um, the inefficiencies of some less talented quarterbacks and made them look really good. But with Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, he's, you know, a blue chip quarterback in this system that is easy on quarterbacks. So uh, it, it, teams are selling out against the run and play action against those guys. But you can't do that against Rodgers. I, you could do it occasionally and hope to catch him. 
but right. you, you can't do it as a full game plan and just just you know rely on that. Right. And Rodgers, for those who don't know, has not been sacked versus the Blitz since week six when they played the Bucks. So obviously they figured some things out since then that has been very helpful for them in their offense. Ted, this is a general question. I just want your thoughts on. We've, we've waxed about it on this show. We've waxed poetic about it and, and talked about my issues with this statistic. But what do you think about quarterback under pressure statistics in general? Like I see the statistic, oh, you know, so-and-so is this rating under pressure or so-and-so is this adjusted completion percentage, you know, under pressure. And I have two issues with it. Pressure is such a general term. Like, what do you mean by pressure? Like, is it is it pressure on his edge? Do you even know if he saw the pressure? Did he see his read before he saw the pressure? Because if that's the case, then sometimes he's already made up his mind. His mind might not even be registering what else is happening around him, you know. And, and then the second thing is I look at each week at these stats under pressure, and then I go watch the tape, and I'm like, how? this throw isn't there under pressure. Like, but this is cl- like, this guy's about to hit him in the face and he doesn't hit him maybe. But so I guess I say all that to say like, what do you think about this statistic? You put any, any credibility on it when I see like these numbers, this quarterbacks, this rank under pressure this season. And, and I saw most of the season, Aaron Rodgers was down there for PFF near the bottom. And then he's at the top after a couple of good weeks. And Tom Brady's been near the bottom, but I watch him throw dimes under pressure all the time. Even if it means something, is it indicative of what's going to happen in the future with that quarterback against pressure? No, it, it's a very unstable stat from year to year. From you know, maybe, maybe even from a, f- a few games to the you know, next few games, mm-hmm. uh, because you know when you're under pressure, like you said, there's a lot of different types of pressure. You know, there might be a little pressure on your back backside and see it. You got to rid of the ball, or you might have a guy in your face right as you hit you know the last step of your drop. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's hard to find, uh, but I think it's interesting to look at if they, if it's a, you know, a long trend, like this yeah. quarterback has been good under pressure for a long time, but that's hard to do. Um, because well, there's just so many different types of pressure. There's so many things that could happen, uh, when you're under pressure. I, I think it's a, it's a good stat to look at, but, um, I think you got to really watch the film to see yeah. how a quarterback handles pressure because, you know, he, a quarterback might have a good game under pressure, but you know his, his stats at the end of the day might not look that great. Maybe he got he did the best he could and got rid of mm-hmm. the ball, avoided sacks, but you know he he didn't produce much under pressure. But that's right. really a good game under his under those circumstances. Right. Um, so, which is why you know your play uh, with no pressure is such a as a, a more stable stat because you know you should be you should have no pressure more often than not, even if you're playing you know like with a really bad offensive line. Mm-hmm. So those stats are more um, are more replicable, more stable from uh, year to year. Right. Yeah. Talking with Ted Wynn of the Athletic does some awesome work for them. If you don't have an Athletic subscription, I literally can't recommend it enough. I'm not one of those people that'll recommend you pay for everything that you read and all the stuff, but their prices are amazing and their content you're just not going to get anywhere else. You're just not. I mean, it is that good of content it's uh, it's creative it's super well written um they really put time and energy into coming up with good content and not just cranking out articles after articles after articles like some of these these aggregate sites basically um i think it's a must-have so go check out the athletic uh if, you, if you're able man tell you get a subscription because it's really good stuff and ted stuff is the best of the best on there ted We've talked a lot about the Packers and how you defend this team, and we know that it's tricky. We know that it's difficult. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with the Packers before we switch gears real quick over to the Bucks side of the ball, when the Bucks have the ball, is the Packers' run game. You know, this is 
Uh, like you said, I mean, there's some wide zone in this, and they've run some crack tosses this season. The Bucks defended those things pretty well when they played them last time in week six. But again, it's a small sample size. That game, game got out of hand in the second quarter. It wasn't necessarily like that. I don't know whether the Packers would have been able to run the ball or not. They had a, a 25-yarder early in the game. The one successful run I think they had was a, a fake jet uh, with a split zone, um, and, they, and they pulled Devin White kind of out of his gap with that fake jet motion. But other than that, the Packers, I mean, the, the, the Bucks have matched up pretty well with outside run schemes this season because their linebackers are freaks in nature. And so I guess my question to you is the Packers run game is a scheme has kind of evolved this season from what I've seen from that point on. But what's the best way if you're the Packers? Would you would you try to run the ball? A lot of teams have not tried to run the ball on the Bucs this season because the Bucs are so good against the run. They are number one in the NFL in this defense in neutral pass situations or neutral situations. The pass rate against them is higher than any other team in the league. And it's not even close just because it's a waste of a play to run against the Bucs most of the time. I don't think the Packers are going to see it that way. This is a really good run scheme. How would you approach it if you were Green Bay and trying to run the ball against uh, Tampa Bay? Or would you try to run the ball against Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think that they're going to take a similar approach to what they did against the Rams last week because I think there's a lot of structural similarities between um, the Rams defense and the the Bucks defense. They're both 3-4. That was interesting that you wrote that, by the way. That, that, that interested me. They play. They play a ton of soft coverage, right? They play a ton of soft coverage. They're uh, an odd front, but they react to motions and shift a little differently. Uh, so I, I think against the Rams, they knew that they weren't going to run the ball very well uh, traditionally under center against them. So they really didn't try it that much. Uh, most of their runs came from shotgun, and they were motion. You know, they were starting with two backs in a backfield, motioning one out, and then the Rams inside linebacker would follow them out. So that would leave just a five-on-five five in the box, and they, they just ran rampant on them uh, doing that. Uh, so, But I think the Bucks will give up the bubble screen, and they'll leave a linebacker in the box. So I think yeah. when you see those <laughs> RPOs, <laughs> yeah, when you see those RPOs, um, Rodgers is going to be forced to throw those bubbles a lot more. So it's going to be up to those perimeter guys to get off those stop blocks and, and, and stop those bubble screens uh, for uh, short yardage, which they did a really good job of in week six when they played. Um, so I think when they're under center, they're not going to run a lot of outside zone. They're, uh, they're going to run more inside zone duo. Um, and you know, when I talked to Mike McDaniels, um, the, the Niners offensive coordinator, and he was talking about a game where they knew they were just, you know, overmatched up front. Uh, so they, they didn't want to go away from the run, but they ran the ball to help protect their offensive line. So they weren't running the ball thinking that they were going to gash the defense. They were just running the ball just to keep the the defense honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he said we weren't running a lot of outside zone. We were just running a lot of inside plays, just hoping to just plow ahead and get a few yards, keep the defense honest. We weren't really trying to uh, create explosive plays in a, in, a, in a run game. So I think you're going to see a similar approach where um, they'll sprinkle in a few under center runs here and there, uh, but mostly they're going to run a lot of play action. They're going to pass against um, the, the Bucks front just because they're they're so good and those linebackers are so hard to uh, to block on the outside zone. Right. Yeah. You're right. It's their range is something else. I mean, the fact that they can get out there like they do, like you said, the Packers could not get hats on them in Week Six, and it was a big issue. I mean, they just those guys were just free to run to the ball. It was hard for them to pin them down at the second level. Let's flip to the Bucks side of the ball. Okay, so you're the Bucks. You come out of your bye week and you say we have a problem. 
we have been basically 50-50 on first downs run pass. That can't continue because we're the 30th ranked team in, in EPA, or I think it's the EPA and success rate, basically. They were horrendous on first down. You know, they, they were scoring points, but it was just because their third down their third down percentage is one of the higher ones in the league. That's typically not sustainable, as you and I know. And even if you do have one of the highest third down rates in the league, that's still only like 50%. So if all your drives end up on third down situations, depending on you to convert third downs, you're probably not going to score as often as you should or be very efficient because you can only get it about half the time on third down, even if you're great. And so they needed to figure out a way to create better plays on first down in order to be a better offense. So they went out and they were like 65 35, somewhere in that range, depending on what you include in two minute drills and the end of the game, they're somewhere in that 63, 65% pass range. So they just went crazy throwing the ball on first down. Against Washington, things started to swing a little bit more toward the run, but they were having such great success running the football against Washington. Um, and they wanted to keep that defensive line off, you know, their guys and from teeing off, I think, a little bit. So they're running the ball and it's and it's like, okay, I it's maybe a little more running than than they're they've they've been doing. Then they go out against the Saints and they go like 19 first down runs to four first down passes. And it's crazy. I mean, you're like, what? It, like this just worked for you at an unbelievable rate and now you're going away from it. So my question to you is what's your thoughts on that philosophy? I know the Saints played some too high and so kind of invited them to run a little bit, but there was also plenty of situations where they ran into, 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 into boxes that were heavier. And the Saints have probably two of the best run stuffing DBs in the league in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Malcolm Jenkins. Packers, maybe not necessarily as much, I guess, unless you have different thoughts on that. So how do you think the Bucs approach the run game this week? Is it as run heavy? And how do you think the Packers can respond to that? The Saints actually did a pretty good job against the run, but they just there, there were so many run situations. Eventually, the Bucs warmed down a little bit, but it was the four turnovers that, you know, the Saints didn't lose the game because they couldn't defend the run, in other words. How do you think the Packers kind of – do they choose to defend that and and and, and try and uh, stop the Bucs' run game the same way the Saints did? Yeah, I think part of that is they, you know, they were playing a really good defensive line. And as we know, Tom Brady, uh, his weakness is a good – you know, with, with a lot of quarterbacks too, but, you know, Brady in particular – uh, it, if you could pressure him with four, his, his stats dramatically drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think part of that was keeping the uh, the Saints defensive line honest. And they were playing, you know, in for, on first downs, so they were playing a lot of too high with their safeties really deep. So I, I think when you see that, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Brady checked into some of those runs because, right. you know, t- if you see those two safeties 15 yards back and you have a number disadvantage up front, I mean, they were, they were playing too high safety when – um, when the Buccaneers were bringing a six offensive lineman. So they just did not respect, you know, respect the uh, Buccaneers ability and to run Bucks the ball. Didn't, still ball didn't and run it that well. It kind of worked, right? Because, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's just a major, uh, major weakness in this Bucks offense. And, you know, one of the reasons why they struggle in the red zone too, is because, you know, guys just don't respect their, their run game. Like they, they just, their linebackers are sitting back in the red zone. Their safeties are sitting back in the red zone. There's not a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage um, as well. So, you know, I, I don't think that they're magically just going to get better at running the ball all of a sudden against the, the Packers. Uh, but the Packers have the same philosophy where they want you to run the ball. They're going to play a lot of uh, sub packages. Uh, they're going to play some two deep safeties, even though they're, they're more of a, a one deep team. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out against uh, the Buccaneers with kind of the same game plan 
um, that the Saints came out with and play uh, too deep and just try not to get beat with explosive plays. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I got to ask you about this because before I let you go on this show, I uh, ask you a couple more things, but the, the, I don't hardly ever get anyone on the show who watches enough books football or knows enough about run scheme to be able to, to hear me out on this and, and offer their thoughts. But Hoswai Duke literally just mentions it here in the chat because the Bucks just run duo. Well, yep. in the summer I was watching Bucks tape and I was like, cause I obviously I'm new covering the team at that point. So I'm trying to like get a feel for what it is that they do. And like everybody else who who doesn't who isn't a Bucks fan, I didn't watch a ton of the Bucks in 2019 live or anything. So I'm trying to get a feel for like what they do, and I already knew about Arians' pass scheme pretty well, but I wasn't really sure about Harold Goodwin and the run scheme and stuff. And I'm watching them just like ah, I think they just run inside zone, and then they run duo, and once in a while you get something different, but it's hardly ever. And I mean, are they just easy to prepare for, Ted? Is that why? Like because the Bucks they have good offensive linemen and there has been games where they've been able to get a push and, but it's almost always relying upon that. They're not getting anyone out of position or making it hard for them to identify. It feels like, or anything like that. It just seems like it's, if, if these guys can consistently move the other team or open up space, to the other team will, will gain yardage. But if that doesn't happen and that's hard to do in the NFL, you know, it doesn't seem like the run game is very successful. Yeah, I think part of the problem is it's just not a varied run game. Like you said, all this yeah. is inside zone or or duo. So you're not really stressing the linebackers. You don't use a lot of motion. Um, so you know those linebackers are sitting there and they don't have to really move that much. Their eyes aren't moving around that mm-hmm. much. Um, so it just makes it tough on the offensive line to have to uh, create so much movement. And plus, I just don't think the um, the Buccaneers running backs are that talented. I, I think uh, Ronald Ronald Jones, you know, he he he'll he runs hard and he'll push the pile some. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Fournette's not that agile um, as well. So, I mean, there's times when there's holes, and it just ends. It looks like it'd be explosive run, and it ends up being a nine yard gain or something like mm-hmm. that too. Right. Uh, so there, the run the Buccaneers run game is just not very creative. And the backs aren't home run hitters. So, you know, even they have great blocking ends up being, you know, a 10 yard gain or a nine yard gain, whereas like a, a real good back could make that a 20 yard gain. Right. No, I, I honestly agree with you. I think, I think we both think Rojo's talented, but it's, it's been inconsistent. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of times he does, he has broken some tackles this season. He's got better at that as the season's gone on. Like you said, he runs like a crazy person sometimes, but there are a lot of times where he misses things you should see and he runs aggressively, but not always with his, with his eyes. And so, um, and yeah, we've, I think we've talked about uh, Fournette uh, this season too, you know uh, there's plays, but overall it hasn't not been consistent uh, with Fournette been better in the playoffs though. Playoff Lenny is yeah. a real thing right now. So, um, you know, okay. So this Bucks run scheme, it's obviously you're, you're right. It's not very diverse. You know, there's no question about it. Um, it's not very diverse and that's probably going to be an issue unless they get like a run game, a better run game coordinator than Harold Goodwin or just somebody who's different. Um, I like Goodwin a lot, um, uh, from my experiences with them, but there's just no question about it. They have not evolved as a run scheme really at all. Um, so my question then 
goes to the Bucks passing game. So passing early in the season, and you know Bruce Arians' offense, it's like, oh, tons of vertical shots, you know, in this offense. You're going to try and get guys vertical. But they've also changed things. You know, there's been more middle-of-the-field type of concepts. They've run things like mesh. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it on tape, I was like, what is this in a Bruce Arians' offense? It's beautiful. They've done a little bit more motion to get guys open and get them leveraged before the snap. You know, they they have done some things that I think have, have challenged teams and forced teams, especially after the bye week, to say, oh, okay, what, what's this team? What's this scheme doing? Where do you view the, the Bucs? We talked about early in the season some of the struggles with Arians and, and, and Brady um, and just finding consistency. Where do you view this Bucks passing attack now? You watch a lot of passing attacks and schemes around the league. Like, Where, where do you view this passing attack right now? And kind of how do you see – what direction do you see them heading in against Green Bay? Yeah, I think there's definitely – more of a, a Brady influence um, as far as bringing in concepts that he's a little more comfortable with and um, adding more layered pass concepts with more underneath options um, later in the season. But I think most of the offensive improvement just comes down to Brady's more comfortable. He has more, you know, because he's more comfortable, he could do more at the line of scrimmage and get into, you know, attack matchups that he wants to attack. Mm-hmm. I also think having Mike Evans healthy, is a big deal too, because, you know, when he was playing injured, he was just basically um, a, a decoy on, on the field. And when he's healthy, he's obviously one of the best receivers in NFL and uh, very hard to match up with. Um, also, I, you know, just bringing Rob Gronkowski along that um, offense brought up, you know, br- brought a different dynamic to uh, Cameron Brates also, um, a really good route runner at at, um, at tight end. So yeah. uh, they, they have a lot of weapons and um, they're finding good ways to match them up. And even Antonio Brown, you know, I, I think he's he's learned his offense a little more and he's getting a little more involved. So when you just look at the totality of all the weapons the Bucks have, and mm-hmm. now Brady's comfortable enough to, uh, to leverage those weapons and, and use them and attack the matchups at the right time, it just makes him really uh, a really tough offense to stop. But you know, as we talked about, it's just that being so one dimensional hurts them at the same time. Yeah, it does. It's, uh, it is. It's, I mean, it clearly is an effort to run the ball more as, you know, in certain games and situations throughout the season. Um, and it's been better than last year, but it's still not a, a really deadly rushing attack. And so, yeah, it's, it's something I think they'll invest in in the offseason uh, would be my guess, maybe the running back position specifically. Uh, they're not a team with a ton of needs, so that could be uh, an area to target for sure. Uh, when you watch the Bucks' offense, Ted, do you think that they would benefit from more play-action passing? They were one of the, they were like at the bottom of the league basically um, through most of the season. Um, and then after the bye week, it went up substantially. They, they were doing a lot more play-action passing. Their, the heaviest play-action game of the season was against Washington. Uh, and so it was finally like, okay, they are a play-action team like when they pass the ball like at least you know we're going for 30 35 percent of the time like and then they went to the saints game and they play action pass five times and we cried but i'm just curious like if you think that this team you know when you watch them if you say man play action is something that this team could really you know break other teams with yeah like you said you know the the play action um usage has increased uh but Mm -hmm. it went down substantially you know a lot against the uh, against the saints and i think um, there's some coaches out there that just don't like running play action against man coverage teams. Good, yeah. They, they think that, you know, the, um, everybody's looking at their man and not looking at, um, looking at the, um, at the play, the play fake anyways. So there's no use yeah. to running that John Gruden had a quote about that. 
um, when they played a, a heavy man team too. And I, I'm pretty sure Bruce Arians probably believes the same thing. So against the um, against the Green Bay Packers, who do run a lot of zone, I think we'll see more play action too. I, I think the Saints game was just more of an anomaly just because mm-hmm. they're such a heavy man-to-man team. Right. That's yeah. It's a good observation about that. Um, in the last game against the Packers, one of the con- the Bucks offense didn't have to do that much early on. You know, there was, uh, there was two turnovers, and they basically got two touchdowns off that. Then they did start to put some drives together, but they weren't necessarily lengthy drives. Um, it was a lot of underneath stuff. But then in the second half, they found those over routes to Rob Gronkowski. You know, I think one of them, if I'm remembering right now, he was maybe he was, but I can't remember. But there were defensive backs on him on some of them, and he was getting blowing through their jams and he was getting behind them down the field on those over routes. The Packers is, as you, as you mentioned, or maybe I read somewhere else I can't, in your article, I can't remember where it was, but their coverage schemes have been pretty diverse this season. They run a little bit of everything um, back when they were playing at that point in the season. I remember in that game, at least in week six, there was a lot of single high type of looks. Um, and then later in the season, I think the Packers have kind of evolved their defense a little bit more. Do you still feel like one of the primary ways that the Bucs can attack this Packers defense, the way that you expect them to defend against uh, the against the Bucs, is by using some of those over routes and attacking them horizontally some, rather than always trying to hit the vertical shots uh, like they have often in, in, in uh, Bruce Arians' offense? Yeah, I think it really depends depends on on what the Packers are going to do. I think um, those two over routes that uh, Gronkowski caught, they were against man blitzes. So uh, they were trying to put some pressure on Brady. They blitzed and they got a one-on-one with Gronkowski and uh, they were they were able to hit those routes. But I, I kind of think that uh, with how the Bucks offense has evolved, I think the Packers will end up playing a little more zone, a little more too deep. So I don't think those over routes will be quite as easy to get. Mm-hmm. Um, as they were in the first game. Uh, but, I mean, if they do de- decide we're going to try to pressure Brady and we're going to uh, blitz him and play more man, then, yeah, those overwraps are going to be uh, major weapons. Right, yeah. it's uh, Blitzing is always – I mean, the Packers don't blitz a lot, but they did some in that game trying to – I think maybe it's a, it's a case of being down and trying to do anything and create a splash play or something like that. That's why it's uh, – one of the many reasons why it's hard to know how much to take uh, from that game and instead probably better to look at the the, the full season sample size. Uh, so this has been great stuff, Ted. We always super appreciate the insight. It's such good stuff, man. Uh, follow him on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. I got that right? Yep, that's it. Okay, all right, sweet. Uh, follow him on Twitter there. He does awesome, awesome stuff. Um, and there's lots of insights you can get from him and his content, uh, which, are, which is always really good. Ted, before we let you go, we just need your honest opinion, man. Like, how do you think it's going down in this game? You you don't have to give us a final score per se, but where would you? How do you see the Bucks? Uh, where do you see them having to do to win this game? In your opinion, if you in fact do view them as the underdog, as most do, uh, I, I think Todd Bowles has to just call um, a nearly flawless game because you know it, it's hard to just play one type of defense against Rodgers. You got to play multiple types of defense, and you got to catch him, um, catch him with unexpected calls, and kind of fool him. So. Uh, and, and Bowles, I think, has been excellent this season. So I think there's a chance of that happening. Uh, but I just think that this Green Bay Packers team has gotten so much better since that Week Six game. And you know, some of the things that they uh, they struggled with in that Week Six games, uh, six game, they typically don't struggle with. So uh, I have the Packers winning this one. Uh, but it, you know, it's the playoffs, and and Bowles is an excellent defensive coordinator, and this offense. 
this Bucks offense, I think, is going to be able to put some points up uh, against against the Packers. Uh, so I think it will be a high-scoring game, but I, I think the Packers uh, pull this one out. Awesome. I appreciate the insight. We hope you're wrong, but I also pick the Packers <laughs> to win this game, and fans are all over me too. Uh, so that you know, they, but I think we all know this is going to be a formidable challenge. I think there's no question about that. But no, I think you're right. It's going to be it's going to take a heck of a game plan from Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians. Where I felt like the first game, you know, Washington game defense left a lot to be desired, and then this past game offense left a lot to be desired. It's got to come together in this game on both sides of the ball because the Packers are a lot better than the Saints because of the quarterback, I think, and a lot better than Washington just all around. And so uh, it is going to be a, a significant challenge, I think. You could easily make the case that the Packers are the best uh, team in the league right now. You know, Win or lose the Super Bowl, the way that they're playing right now, it's it's hard to pick against them if you're any other team. So, Ted, thank you so much for giving us a, t- a huge chunk of your time, man. We really appreciate the insights. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Ted Wynn, ladies and gentlemen, does awesome stuff for The Athletic. Really, really appreciate him, and I appreciate him taking that kind of time, man. I mean, that's a busy, busy man this week. He has to cover the league, and he has to cover both these championship games, watch a ton of tape, write a ton of articles. Uh, he does awesome stuff. Uh, I see like there's a lot of conversation about the run scheme. Um, I think we haven't talked about it actually a lot on the show, but I, I, I do really think Ted is right, and I see some of you saying that you already know I agree with Ted. I thought it in the offseason too, and maybe this is actually my fault. I really didn't think it was that big of a deal in the offseason. I was like, man, if this team can't pass the ball, whatever. Like, you know, that that's like it's, you know, that they're not going to be good no matter what how they run the ball. But now after watching how good of a pass scheme they can be, I think they need to make being able to run the ball better, not more often, better a priority in the offseason because yeah, you can look and say 130 yards against Saints, but the efficiency is what matters. If you get to 130 yards, fine, but if it took you 30 tries to get there, that's not good. You because again, remember, you were throwing the ball and look at the Bucks average per completion this season, I think it's like almost 8 yards. That's not even per attempt, you know, it's just per completion is almost 8 yards. So you need to be like doing way better than just 4 yards a carry in the run game. And that's just looking at, you know, raw stats that aren't even as good as some of the advanced stuff that we have, but they just need to be able to run the ball better. They took a step this year in the right direction as a run team. They no question that they did, but the scheme is not never, they have to be able to run the ball more effectively moving forward. They have to have a more versatile scheme, I think um, to their run game. And it'll take stress off of the offense. A lot of games when they've struggled to hit plays down the field, it's because people just don't respect their ability to run the football. And so it takes them out of what they do best offensively as well makes it challenging for sure. And it makes life a lot harder on Tom Brady. I know that that's uh, hard to believe with the way that he played but uh, this season, but that's, that's just the reality of it. So it's something we'll talk about all offseason. In fact, in the offseason, I'm going to actually take tape and show you what I'm talking about when I talk about their run scheme. I'm going to actually try to demonstrate that for you at some point in the offseason, especially if they make a move for a running back or something like that. I'll kind of show you um, what that's going to look like a little bit. We're going to try and do some different things with this show. One of the different things we're doing is we're getting on an app called Locker Room. Locker Room is a new social audio app. It is is so much fun. We've had a blast with it recently. It is changing the way we talk sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations. It's live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about. React to sports news as it happens. Gather all your friends and watch parties for the biggest games. Rep your favorite teams and find your community. 
Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation. One of the coolest things about it is that when you get this locker room app, and it's only available for iOS right now, um, and so you know, bear with them on that. They're trying. They're going to have it available for Android at some point. But when you can get your friends together, and or you, I mean, you can all be in, in your same in your homes or whatever, spread out, COVID era, all that stuff. You know, you're not t- physically together, but you can get together on the locker room app, and you can like literally just have a conversation throughout the game, and you can have a chat going too. Or you can also you and a couple of your friends, or whatever, can jump into a chat about like. A Bucks chat that's on there. You can create one, and then any Bucks fans that get on there, they can just jump in and join the chat. And you can talk Bucks fans during the game, at halftime of the game, whatever. But before the game and at halftime of the game on Sunday against the Packers, we will be going live. Peter Report will be going live. A bunch of you have followed us and signed up already, but download that locker room app, follow Peter Report, and you can see when we go live. We're just we get on there and fans jump in, they chat. I mean, a bunch of people that are in this, um, that are on this podcast, jump on there and they chat and they offer their thoughts on the game. They ask us questions, they give predictions, and then at halftime we analyze what's going on. You know, we we get in there real quick for ten minutes and spout off and get all our frustrations out with whatever we didn't like uh, in the first half, and then we we go about and we watch the second half. And so it's fun stuff. Uh, check out Locker Room, download that app, and join us uh, for that. It'll be. Good time on the podcast. We will be live again. It'll be after the game on Sunday. Stand by for the times. It's going to depend a lot on whether the Bucs win or lose in that game because if they win, obviously that next game after is going to be really, really important. And so we know y'all will probably be wanting to watch that game. So we may go live a little bit later. If they lose, we'll probably go live um, at 7.30-ish, uh, somewhere around that time. Um, so we'll keep just stand by for the time. We'll have it tweeted out. We'll, obviously, if you're wondering, oh, I don't want to miss it, go to Peter Report TV and hit the bell to get the notifications for when we go live. Make sure you're subscribed. Tell your friends and family subscribe, um, and we'll communicate that time to you all uh, over the next couple of days. So until then, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Out! <laughs>